Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started today. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is March 25th according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening. Stripe Hype Friday, March 25th is the date today with our friend Blake Jude of Stripe Hype Cincy, and just follow him on Twitter. It's not a Stripe Hype, but follow him. He's our great friend of the show. Love talking to him every single time we get to talk to him. It's some NFL draft stuff, some regular NFL stuff, but it is football because football does dominate the national headlines in this weird, wacky world of sports media that we find ourselves in, even at a time of March Madness, which I do have to say, how incredible was that finish to Arkansas and Gonzaga, huh? I mean, gosh, the game was 32-29, to 29, Arkansas in the lead at halftime. We just did the oral history about Gonzaga, and it's 32-29 at halftime, and also 32-29 at halftime, and I'm definitely not recording this at 5 o'clock on Thursday and don't know how the game ended, but I can't believe how crazy the finish was after we just did the episode about Gonzaga basketball, which you can check out on Thursday's episode of Take It Easy. Wow, it was absolutely incredible. And Villanova winning 20-15 to against Michigan with only four minutes left in the first half. I mean, it was exactly what we thought. Michigan was an 11 seed. They jumped out to an early lead. And God, what a fantastic, fantastic game that was as well. I can't wait to find out later on what happened in the Texas Tech Duke game or in the Houston Arizona game both of those seem like they're going to be so fascinating to watch wink wink nod nod I hope that joke didn't get drained after a minute of talking let's stop with me talking and move right on in to a stripe hype Friday with our great friend Blake Jude What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? 
here this fine Thursday that's actually a Friday by the time people are listening to this. I am doing absolutely fantastic. I have a very exciting news to share probably at the end of this podcast or whenever you want me to share it. Uh, I'm doing great. We could either professionally tease people with it and just wait until later in the podcast or you could deliver now. It depends whether you want to convince people to keep listening or if you want to share the news now, even though it's a podcast, so they can skip to the end if they want. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure what, what I say can lead to other discussion points. If you want me to go, if you want me to go ahead and say it now. So it sure, go big. ahead. Go ahead. All right. I'm, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to the draft. I'll be there <gasps> live. If you uh, ever want to do a live podcast in Vegas, let me know. I'll be covering the NFL draft live in Las Vegas. I'm yes. going to need to find a way to get out there for a couple days then. I'm only a four-hour drive away, so even if it's just for the weekend, i got to find a way to get there. Let's do it, bro. I already got my flight booked. I got the, I got the uh, Airbnb done. Uh, you mm. know, I have, to get, I have to pay for Uber and stuff, of course, but... I got it all done. I'm, I got I'm, you. I'm if I'm going to go to Vegas, going. I'm going to drive down to Vegas. It's about six Heck hours yeah, from where I am. I'm going to drive to Vegas if I'm going to go to Vegas. Let's do it. Let's do Ooh, it. Live that's podcast. so freaking awesome. Oh, I got to find yeah. a way to get there. Oh, Whew, that's I'm, awesome, I'm dude. Oh. It's going to be a blast. I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to vlog it actually. So it might be on my page. If you guys want to keep up with it, I'm going to try to do like, I'm going to go to the, you know, like the open, like live events that they have and things like that. It's, it's free for people that want to go uh, that are in, around Vegas and stuff. Um, I just got made my own uh, uh, hoodie. So I got my I got my hoodie that I'm going to be wearing. Uh, hopefully it's one of the days I'm, gonna, I'm planning on going all three days, um, including the last day. It starts at 12, 8, 12 p.m. or something like that. But uh, uh, yeah, it's only going to be four days I'm down there. But uh, I, I am going to be down there. and I'm, I'm super hyped to visit Vegas. It's the furthest west I've ever been in America. So I'm, I'm really excited to go down there and go see everything. Still only 20, so I can't have too much fun. But <laughs> I'm looking I'm in the it. same camp. I'm in the same camp. I can't I can't enjoy all of Vegas until... If the draft had been held two months later, I could. But <laughs> not in this situation. But uh, I, okay, I gotta, I'm going to have to figure out how to get down there. At least for one day. At least one day of the draft. I'm going to have to... To get down there because i know i can drive down during the weekend i gotta see if i can get there on the friday too because that's fantastic yeah yeah it'd be a lot of fun we, i'd love to meet you i'd be uh, actually a blast and uh, like i said i'm i'm planning on recording it and, and having fun i'm actually trying to see i doubt i'm gonna get it i'm trying to see i have a friend that can get media passes i'm gonna try to see if i can get media passes that will be a big deal if i get those uh, but i don't think it's very likely We'll see. I'm gonna ask and see what see if he can do something for me, and if he can, might be able to actually get inside, which is gonna be even cooler. But we'll see how that works out before I do anything. <laughs> I should put in the request to believe. I've never tried to put in a media request, but I was planning to do Ooh. it for NBA Summer League, which is also in Vegas. But this might be a chance to try and put in a media request for the draft and see if I can actually get something. This might be the opportunity to do so. Yeah, it, it, yeah. If you want to, absolutely. I'll, I'll get it. I'll no, I can get it for you guys. If it if it were that yeah. case, I'd be like, can I get like three media passes for the draft? I can try. I can put in the pitch and see if that's a thing that exists. Because I know people did it for the Super Bowl, but I could even if it was in Los Angeles, I could not take the week off to go to the Super Bowl. So I know it exists. I know the process exists. I just don't know how to yet. I got to see if if I can get the press passes. That, that would be amazing if you could, for sure. I, I'm going to try. I, like I said, I got, I got another good friend of mine that 
has gotten them in the past, but it was the Cleveland before. Uh, I'm going to try to see if he can get me some to Las Vegas, but I'm not too sure yet. I haven't asked him yet. I didn't want to bother him, but we're going to see and figure it out. I'm not, like I said, I am absolutely stoked, like out of this world, super excited. I, I did. I think Ooh. I officially booked it three days ago. So I'm preparing, you know, trying to get my, figure out what I want to pack and what I want to bring. Am I going to wear a suit and tie and 90 degrees? Oh God, you're going all the way with it. <laughs> I don't know though. I don't know. It depends on if I get media passes or what's going to, what's going to happen. Right. But I, I want to get up close. I want to see it all. I'm so excited though. This is like my dream. Like you, you can probably tell I'm excited. I am right now. I'm a little sick right now. So don't, not the perfect, not in perfect shape, but I am like, these last four or five days have been an absolute dream. Just thought I just sit back and think like, wow, this is like the one thing to me, this is like, like everyone has that one thing they want to go out and do. Like they have like, want to have a trip to Hawaii or go see Paris or something like that. Mine is to go see the NFL draft, especially in a city like Las Vegas. That is just honestly like my dream. That's what I wanted to, I've wanted to do my entire life. That's like the one trip I wanted to take. So I finally get to I do mean, it and I'm super excited. We were talking about it two years ago about going to the draft and then the pandemic right. happened, but we were talking about this years and go years ago because people don't know we've never met each other physically in person. We've been doing podcasts for like yep. two plus years. And that was the opportunity where like maybe you could get to Cleveland or Las Vegas before yep. and then the pandemic happened. So Las Vegas's draft got moved to 2022. And I think the Super Bowl's in Vegas in 2023. So Vegas is getting everything there. But of course, they just built a swanky new stadium out there. So it makes <laughs> sense that the NFL wants to promote everything in Vegas. Yeah. Right. Well, it doesn't help that I'm on the opposite side of the country, quite literally. So it's, it's kind of hard to see any of those <laughs> things or even meet up with you, of course, in person. Like the farthest west I've been in, in America, I want to say, might be... I might have been in the very western part of Texas before. That is the furthest <laughs> I have been west. So El Paso. Been, so you've been to El Paso. Yeah, pretty much. I've been I've been to all, all, almost all the big cities in Texas. That's about it because I got a lot of family in Texas. Uh, I, I've been further south. I've been all the way east. Uh, I've done all of that. And I'm, I'm really excited um, to to. Uh, this, do the draft. this is a weird thing that I saw on the schedule like a year ago was that like the next three Super Bowls were all on the West Coast. And it was like one year was in Atlanta, one year is Miami. And that's obviously like you have to make a whole week out of it. But like since I graduate coming up soon, I'm like, you know, Arizona, Las Vegas, like those are like driving distances from some places that I am. So like that's like something that I saw is like, oh, the Super Bowl will be an opportunity. But the fact that you're going to the draft next month. We haven't appropriately talked about the draft or used your expertise because everything's been crazy in the NFL, but still everything is working out in a way that's, you know, you're going to show up to the draft after two years and you doing scouting for four or five years, you get to show up to the draft as your great vacation because we're both crazy sports people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so hyped. It's going to be so much fun uh, to go down there and cover it. And, uh, it's it's literally like again like a dream come true. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all works out. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, we'll see how it all what all happens and stuff like that. But it's going to be an absolute blast. And hopefully, you can make it down there too, and we'll have some fun. Of course, uh, maybe doing a live podcast there. That'd be a blast. I've, absolutely. Day three, I can guarantee you. Day three on Saturday, we'll figure out the rest there. But I will do my best to make it for day three of the draft, even if it's just driving and driving back. But we're going to find some way to make this happen. Um, so 
to pivot to other draft conversation here. Uh, now that every single quarterback spot is filled in the NFL now, and uh, th- there's one musical chair left. There's one musical chair rotating around. It's Jimmy Garoppolo and it's Baker Mayfield. And that one chair belongs to Ben McAdoo. And both of them are like, <laughs> Ugh, do we, do we have to, do we have to do that? But uh, now that everything's filled, Carolina and the Giants are probably going to draft quarterbacks, right? That seems to be kind of the move I've gotten out of all of this. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Um, I, I definitely think Seattle and Atlanta are both in that market as well, uh, going for, for quarterbacks as well. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of teams uh, uh, this year in specific have like really kind of cleared up all of their, uh, you know, certain uh, quarterback situations for the most part, right? Like we've seen a lot of different players move around. We saw Russell Wilson to Denver. We saw, um, of course, you know, we, we, saw, we saw Carson Wentz to Washington. We saw Matt Ryan to Indianapolis. We saw all these different moves being made for all these quarterback needy teams right now. So we're looking at kind of like who's going to go for a quarterback and what. There's not really any quarterbacks at the top right now. I know Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett have been the current favorites to go at the top of the draft. I really do think, though, like between Seattle Atlanta, maybe New York dips into that. Um, you know, I feel like those are the teams that I really expect being quarterback potential targets, uh, targeting potential quarterbacks down the line uh, in this year's draft. But I do think it's probably going to be interesting to see who trades up to maybe that five, six spot. Um, it, I expect different. I think that's where the first quarterback probably going to go is around that area, right? I think someone's either going to move ahead of Seattle. Seattle might pick one there. Uh, maybe you see Atlanta pick one there as well with Marcus Mariota at quarterback right now. I'm not sure if that's the ideal guy to be a starter. We'll have to see, of course. But uh, I definitely think that um, it, one of those one of those guys are going to be there. I know we haven't done a full mock draft yet, and that'll obviously make some of this easier and like introduce people to some prospects. But the Giants have two picks in the top seven. So if you're the Giants in that spot, like what do you do? Because I know the Giants pretty much have everything as a team need at this point because they are, you know, as much as it was weird the way they went about it, they did end up fumigating the organization and, you know, trying to recreate the Buffalo Bills now with the Bills assistant GM and the Bills assistant head coach. Um, but if you're the Giants, do you just go BPA for both picks? Because I know they they still have Daniel Jones, but clearly they're trying to change the quarterback position. Uh, so I assumed that they would take someone with one of those two picks. But if you're saying like pick nine is where the first quarterback goes off the board, you think the Giants might not reach for a quarterback at one of those picks, ironically, like they did with Daniel Jones. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, looking at it, looking at the draft this year and what's the top and what's going on right now around the draft, I do think it's smarter for New York to maybe focus on building pieces around the quarterback first and then going quarterback next year's draft, just because I feel like that's where the value is at right now. Um, I, I think, you know, you look at, I believe they hold pick five and pick seven right now. Uh, I really think at pick five, you are much, you're very so able to be able to have one of the best edge rushers uh, in these class, in this class. You can get like Kayvon Thibodeau potentially falling to you, maybe Trayvon Walker, a uh, guy that falls to you uh, there at pick five or seven. And then also, I think there's a really good chance that maybe one of those offensive tackles, Evan Neal, Ike McQuanu, uh, those, those guys also potentially fall to you. There's a lot of value in those picks right there. And I think for pick seven, you're also going to make potential cornerbacks. Ahmad Garner, a really good cornerback from Cincinnati, of course, Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback from LSU, who everyone knows is, is a very talented guy after his freshman season winning the Blitnikoff. Uh, or, or not Blitnikoff. Is that the quarterback award? Which one's the cornerback award? I forgot. Corner. Blitnikoff uh, is wide receiver. Wide receiver. God, right. What old what What's old corner? corner? I don't know what the name of the corner award. Best corner college football. 
Ah, uh, gosh, it's got. I mean, I know it's got to be an old name. Like it's someone that we barely know. It is the Jim Thorpe Award. Apparently, Jim Thorpe. That's right. That's right. Yep. Sorry, I, I got that a little confused. Yes, he won the Jim Thorpe Award in his freshman year. Of course, had a great season there. So everyone knows Derek Stingley is very talented. You've also got the Kyle Hamilton, who is my second highest graded player in the draft this year at safety. Who think even though the Giants really don't need a safety, he could play pretty much anywhere in the secondary or even that linebacker need be. He's a very versatile, great player. So I think he's another really possible good option for the for the Giants. So I think you know all those guys. You look at all those guys. I think they're all very good potential. Uh, targets for the Giants. I think they're all best player available sort of picks compared to, you know, quarterbacks who are good. Do I think any quarterback here is in the top 10, 12, maybe even 15 in talent this year? I really don't think so. I think the best option you have right now, is, in my opinion, according to my grades, is Matt Corral, the quarterback from Ole Miss. I think he's pretty good. I also think Kenny Pickett's a very good quarterback as well, but has some pretty bad concerns with his hand size. Of course, people really don't know how good of a grip he will have on a football. I do think it is some concern because he has one of the smallest hands in the NFL if he is going to be drafted this year, of course, which he obviously will. And I do also think that Malik Willis is a very talented but raw quarterback. He's a lot of potential, but also made a lot of poor decisions at Liberty. You know, he had a lot of interceptions, uh, did have a little bit of trouble in a pretty, you know, small school environment. So I do think there are some concerns for the top guys in this draft. Well, I do think there's a lot of top guys that the Giants can take that would overall better their team and enable them to maybe look towards next year to go for a CJ Stroud or a guy like that who could be an absolute stud for you for the future. So what happened with the Matt Corral situation? Because I know he got hurt in his last bowl game. I didn't watch the bowl game, but I know he got hurt. And the whole argument was, this is why people shouldn't play in bowl games. The same thing as the Michigan player who ended up tearing his Achilles during a pro day. Um, but is Matt Corral, like, his his stock isn't tanking because of the injury? It's just an injury he'll recover from it. It just sets back the timeline of whatever team's going to draft him. Um, yeah, so Matt Corral's in a pretty interesting position. I have not changed my grade on Matt Corral since I scouted him. I still think he's the best quarterback in this class, at least in my eyes right now. Uh, I, I do think that the NFL might have cons- some concerns with Matt Corral, seeing that, you know, he really, this is his first pretty solid year. Um, and he's still another very raw quarterback, of course. He's not the best when it comes to uh, polishness and being able to make decisions against sort of like Malik Willis in that same case. Um, And I do think for NFL, according to NFL standards, he does not also have the raw throw power or raw running ability that Malik Willis potentially has. So there really isn't any of that that kind of puts him over the top compared to Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis, which is why I kind of think a lot of NFL scouts have him a little bit lower than those guys. But I do think for NFL scouts, according to what at least I know right now, he is probably third. Uh, right now in that kind of group area of what I consider uh, the, the quarterbacks in this class. I think he will be very, it's very possible that he goes middle to late round uh, in the first round, in my opinion. I think that you're looking at teams like Pittsburgh, maybe going for a guy like that, you could possibly see someone like um, the Texans who have, a, you know, a higher pick if they want to, if maybe they're smoke screening Davis Mills around, maybe they go out and get Matt Corral as well. <laughs> maybe another team like that potentially trades down or trades up to take Matt Corral later in the draft. I think he's probably your third guy out of these quarterbacks I see being up there. I still think, though, Matt Corral has the biggest all-around tools to be successful, right? I think Malik Willis has the raw ability, the really good running. He's good, but he makes bad decisions. You know, Kenny Pickett has, again, pretty good decisions to great decision maker uh he can run the ball as well he's got good you know physical capabilities but he does he does he does have some sort of 
um, you know, size concerns when it comes to his hands. Of course, he does some have some, you know, pretty questionable physical abilities at the next level as well. I think Matt Corral's the best blend of all of that together. Do you think you're in a place yet with scouting where I can start naming random prospects and you can give me analysis on them? Do you think we're in that place yet with the, with the scouting? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've scouted a lot of players so far, so I do think it's certainly possible. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm not totally confident on as good as last year so far, because I still have a lot more to do, right? I've been really focused on agency right now, but I do have a lot down already. So if you give me some like middle of the range guys, like not, not the deep ones, I probably can get those. But I still have a couple of important players that I have not scouted yet. What can you give me on Daniel Falele? Yeah, the big off the tackle from Minnesota, uh, a guy that I've, I've got a pretty early on. He's a massive man, six foot seven, I believe, like 380 pounds. The dude is crazy big. Uh, currently, I have a second round grade on him right now. He is a mammoth of a man uh, that is really impressive. He, he, I mean, he does have some concerns against speed rushers. I, I saw the next level. I do think that the pass protection that could be a bit of concern for him. I do think that, you know, there is an argument to be made that he might have to lose a little bit of weight, a little bit, a little bit more agile to go against those faster rushers on the outside. But I do think that in terms of, um, you know, being a run stopper, being a run blocker, uh, he can take out any guy that he touches at the next level if he's able to get out there. Uh, and I do think there's a lot of potential for him to be a very dominant pass protector as well if he's able to get his hands out and actually get his hands on those speed rushers on the outside. This is going to be a really sad way to kick off this sentence, but I was watching the Motel 6 Cactus Bowl, and it was West Virginia against Minnesota, and that dude was like more gigantic than football players who are obviously giant human beings. That dude (laughs) was so freaking gigantic and he scored a touchdown in the game. Like they put him at fullback and he scored a touchdown in the game. It was just ridiculous how big that dude was. And then I saw him on your draft grades. I was like, oh, I recognize him. He's the guy who scored the giant touchdown in the formerly named Motel 6 Cactus Bowl. I have no idea what yes. it's called anymore, but it was once called the Motel 6 Cactus Bowl. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he is, uh, like I said, I mean, he's a big dude. My current grade for him right now is 84.9. I'm off to tackle five right now. I think that, you know, he's a guy I can see developing for a year. I don't think he's a day one starter um, necessarily. He can be for sure, but do I expect him to be? No, he's a very raw uh, player, I think, in my opinion, but he's very, very um, great. Like this is one of those guys, like you had a couple of guys in the draft, but Kai Becton, for example, he was one of those guys that he gets his hands on you. He's taking you down. You're not getting past Makai Becton. If he touches, it's just not going to happen. Right. Daniel Falele is the exact same way. If he gets his hands on you, you are not getting anywhere. Like that's just, that's just how it works. Cause he's such a big human being. He's so strong. No one's going to overpower him or get away from him because he's going to take you down. He's going to flatten you simply. Uh, but I do think, like I said, speed rushes at the next level, the TJ Watts of the world are very, very good at getting under the arms of different tackles like a Daniel Falele, for example, and getting to the quarterback through the outside with speed. And that's something that a lot of bigger guys like Makai Becton, for example, has concerns with at the next level. I do think Makai is in the exact same department in that case, but I do think 
um, you know, there's definitely room for him to, uh, you know, potentially get better at that, get more agile in terms of lateral movement, be able to side his feet at a quicker pace, be able to flip his hips over to be able to get to those guys and take him down. Because if you get your hands on a speed rusher, like I said, Daniel Falele is going to take him down. So I do think that he has a lot of potential to be able to figure out those issues with those guys. What can you give me on Kyler McMichael? Tyler McMichael, the guy I just scouted very recently, actually a cornerback uh, from North Carolina. Uh, I, I do I do have a pretty low grade on him right now. I do think there is a, quite a bit of concern um, in terms of like uh, how well his game's going to develop over the like you know over into the NFL. He's a, he's a pretty I would say fair size, a little bit smaller of a corner uh, from North Carolina, I think. And he's a guy that has been able to um, consistently kind of log down the outside, but he does lack, in my opinion, in ball skills. He really is not able to get a lot of interceptions. I do think he's a, a pretty solid at defending passes at the next level, but um, what I was really impressed with this was actually his 2020 tape, uh, was what I watched the majority of. That's when I was, whenever I saw the most of him. Um, yeah, he's not really on the field a lot, actually. I do think that more often than not, he's not being targeted. Um, that's what I saw mostly from the 2020, from last year's tape, 2021, 2022. That's what I saw mostly from them. He, he, everyone was just avoiding him for the most part. But in 2020, uh, he had a lot of, of different plays where they were always targeting him. And he was continuing to, to, to bat away passes or just take the man out of the play altogether. And I do think he's pretty impre- impressive how he does that. Um, he's a very, very agile cornerback. Uh, I do think he's able to keep up with receivers that have speed, which I think is very, very uh, important at the next level. And he's also just a junior. He's still a very, very young player as well that I think can certainly develop longer. Um, but I do think the concern right now is the fact that he is not the most physical corner out there. He can definitely get beat by bigger, better guys. And that's what the NFL is, a bunch of bigger, better guys. So I do think, I believe I have like a fourth or fifth round grade on him maybe. Uh, I think I, hold on, I just scouted him so I can definitely just find it. Um, Are you I looking for his a, grade? Yeah, 74.4 on Kyler McMichael. Uh, that's my grade right now for him. It's a little bit lower. Uh, 74.4 is probably going to be around the fifth round in terms of grade for me, but I can definitely see someone taking a risk on him going fourth round because I do think he has a lot of potential when it comes to being able to potentially be a guy that can lock down some faster receivers at the next level. See, you can do the you can do the random person. I have faith in you, and you nailed it. You hit the random prospects who will probably forget about unless it's Lucas Niang or unless it's uh who was there was a wide receiver from Wake Forest last year who was uh one of those guys Sage for me. Surratt. Sage Surratt, thank you. I forgot his name. <laughs> I loved him so much. Kendrick Green is also one of those oh, just yeah. random yeah, guys who has become a uh, a folk legend of the podcast. I think Daniel Falele is going to be that person this year. I think the 330 pound offensive lineman from Minnesota who's just larger than Minnesota and West Virginia players, which I could use this to make a joke about Minnesota and West Virginia football, but he was just bigger than everyone on the field that I was watching. I think he's going to be one of those draft legends this year. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep him in mind in the back of our head. I have a very early second on Daniel Falele. I do think it was an outside shot that you know, maybe if a team really likes his um, his size and his ability to um, you know to, uh, to deny you know any kind of power that's sent to him, I can see someone maybe taking him at the end of round one as well. He's got that talent and that raw potential to be that guy. Um, but I do think he's probably going to go. He's looking at a second round pick right now. I do think there's a lot of potential behind him. Now I'm really excited. Got yeah, I, I see prospect. 
I feel like that game we play sometimes where we just name like football players from our childhood, where I'll just like drop Darius Hayward Bay into the conversation (laughs) at C, you get a chuckle every time. Like, I feel like that works with you and old draft prospects is like, I can just drop, you know, random names like Tevin Jenkins and it just puts a smile on your face. I feel like this, that game works with you with old draft prospects. I'm getting better at it beforehand. You know, I was only scouting max, maybe 50, 60 guys. Now that's, that's still like, I mean, I, I would consider that still a pretty good portion, but compared to what I do now, you know, that's not nearly as much as probably the first two rounds of guys Um, in, you know, I still occasionally like last year, I missed, I believe two or three third round picks last year that I didn't scout at all. Uh, you know, my goal is to be able to at least complete the first three rounds and, and I'll, I'll have all those prospects graded. Um, I believe I'm at maybe 180, 190 right now in terms of the prospect. I might even be over 200. I haven't, I haven't counted lately, um, but I'm, I'm up there. I have a lot of guys. I actually just released my cornerback rankings on Twitter uh, earlier. If you go follow my Twitter, Blake G714, shameless plug. I just released my top guys. I believe I have 28 cornerbacks scouted right now. Uh, I've been really worried about them lately. And, uh, like I said, I just scouted McMichael from North Carolina. Of course, that was literally the last guy I just scouted last night. So it's pretty cool <laughs> that I was able to uh, to uh, get to talk about him because I literally just saw him. Yeah, uh, you know, this to, to take people behind the scenes, I cheated a little bit because I got that player from the tweet that you sent out. So oh, I cheated okay. a little bit in like, I have no idea who Kyler McMichael is, but it's I had no idea. You could ask me what school he went to. I would have said West Virginia, but apparently he went to North Carolina. So uh, that would also been a joke on my part because NFL players don't come from West Virginia. Uh, that was a thinly veiled shot at you <laughs> for Marshall University. Uh, but, yeah, you know, uh, that was, uh, you know, that was just I just steal, stole that from your Twitter and asked you a question about a player I knew you could scout. It ruins the joke, but I'm taking people behind the scenes. Also, Ronnie Hillman. Right, there you go. Uh, you know, I'm I will say like. I do have a lot of times where I just completely forget about a player because I, I, after watching a lot, they start to blend together for me. And I think of them, oh, a bunch of guys grouped together into one. Um, so I'm very glad you, you mentioned Kyler McMichael, not someone like Dijon Warren, who I'd have a lot more trouble explaining right now than, than a guy that I literally just. But what if I threw year. out a name like Alante Taylor? Oh, well, I, Alante Taylor is one of my favorite cornerbacks in the class. You probably see my Twitter. I have a diamond next to his name, right? So it's a guy that I really do like a lot from Tennessee. Uh, I think he's got some pretty good size, six foot one, six foot two. I do think he's really, really good ball skill ability. He actually got, I would love for Cincinnati to go after because I think he fits their scheme really, really well, apart from Chidabe Awuja. I do think he's a pretty similar corner, actually, in terms of talent as Chidabe Awuja. He's got some good speed. He can be able to cover guys on the outside. He's got the physicality to be able to stop. Um, some of those bigger guys. He's not too elite in his athletic testing. He's not too elite in his size and, and skills, but I do think that he is very, very good in both those accounts. And that, that's why I think he could possibly be a pretty, really good third, second round pick potentially for, for the future if someone's able to take him and put him on the outside as a quarterback, maybe two for the next level. Do you think that Matt Khalil is now old enough to play this game with? Is he old enough where we can play the old name game with Matt Khalil? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, hold on. He retired in 2019, apparently, but yeah. he was uh, he was the person taking one pick after Trent Richardson. That's fair. Yeah, uh, I, I do. I do struggle a little bit with the with the older picks. You know that that's a, that's a little bit different because I didn't scout back then. Um, but yeah, Matt Khalil, I forgot about. I actually completely forgot he existed. I had oh Google yeah, that's like, just no. Yeah, that wasn't more of a scouting thing. That was just a me doing the old name person, the just old, name, old players. You. 
That was just yeah, me doing yeah. the the names of old former players who we like, like uh, Danny Amendola, who I think is still hanging go. around somewhere. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I know, I know the Darius Hayward Bays of the world. I know Ronnie Hillman. I know some of those guys. But when you get the offensive linemen, that's when it gets a lot tougher for me. Unless it's a guy that's more recent. I just got all the offensive linemen for the Bengals, of course. Um, that I would get, but. The guys further back, I you know it, I'm not good at that at all, honestly. Before I really started scouting, the, the positions I really paid the most attention to were wide receiver, cornerback, safety. I'm really good at remembering those positions for some reason. Maybe a linebacker here and there as well, but and, and of course quarterbacks for sure and running backs um, because they're already well known. But uh, you know for some reason those positions I can get a lot easier. Uh, the offensive line and the defensive line for me are just so much harder for absolutely no reason. It's kind of funny. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. By the way, Danny Amendola was on the Houston Texans last year. I did not know that. Apparently, that's was, right. Yeah, he had uh, twenty-four catches for two hundred and forty-eight yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, I, I actually do remember a couple of his uh, of his plays that he had there because he was a he was actually one of uh he's actually a fantasy option a couple of times because he a lot of wide receivers on the team were hurt uh, and you saw a lot of Nico Collins, Danny Amendola on the waiver wire. <laughs> so I do remember that, but. I mean, he's got to be what thirty six now. Maybe. Wow, he, he's got to be. Andy Mandola right? is thirty six years old. You are correct. That's oh, amazing that. that you knew that. Yeah. yeah, on the dot. So yeah, he's up there in age. He's he's probably got a couple more, maybe a year or two more in him, and he's probably going to be retired. Did I, we I have Andy Mandola? Was Minnesota the Maroon Five team that we had from the Big Ten? I'm trying to remember now. So it was. So Iowa it was State. definitely Iowa State. It was Mississippi State. Right. It was and Arizona State. Boston College. Arizona Boston State. College. I think, I think it was, it was Minnesota. Minnesota. I think it was Minnesota because I can't think of who else it would have been in the in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think it had to have been Minnesota. Yep. I believe yeah. that. I think I'm pretty sure it was. I don't know if there's any other Maroon teams in the Big Ten. Is there? I don't think so. Uh, is there any team that fits? I guess Purdue fits the seven and five bill, but I guess Purdue's not maroon though. I think it had to have been Minnesota. I can always go back and look at the t-shirt. We'll see. Um, (laughs) also Cecil shorts. Uh, that's another fun name I'll throw out. This show is presented by athletic greens. We've told you about athletic greens before with one scoop of athletic greens. You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to get your body right. Athletic greens is one scoop in a cup of water every day, and that's it. To make it easy, athletic greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D. That's 365 days worth of athletic greens. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can also use the link in the description to this episode. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ooh, I forgot about Cecil Short. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good threat blast Dude, from the past. Off of your head? Some of them, like Ronnie Hillman was, but I could just do this entire game with San Diego State running backs also. That's just a whole <laughs> other true. game that I know. <laughs> yeah, or just running backs from that era like Monty Ball. Oh, yeah. He follows me on Twitter, actually. That's, that's pretty cool. Oh, fact. that's interesting. Yeah, I tried. I tried I, to get him on the podcast one time. He did not respond, but that's okay. 
Monty Ball still hanging around out there. I mean, we could do that with Rashad Penny or Donnell Pumphrey. Like you can go down the list of San Diego State Ooh. running backs also. I'm blanking on his name right now. I know he played for the Chargers and then for the Ravens. Who is the white running back that was a very good receiving back? Oh, Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead. That's his yeah, name. Danny Woodhead. He Danny was Woodhead. he he uh, he destroyed the Bengals in that one playoff game, he right? Did. 2013. Yep. Yeah, yep. it scarred me for life. That's why I remember his name. <laughs> Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead was such a legend for the Chargers. Like he was never the best player, but he was just always reliable. Like Danny Woodhead was always there for us. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. He's the ideal third third down running back, I think. And when I think I of think third down was... running back, I think of him and Darren Sproles. Those are like the two epitomized third down running backs in my life. Is he? I thought he was one of the Belichick running backs, like the interchangeable Belichick guys, but they didn't. Yeah. So he was on the Patriots, but they didn't win a championship while he was there. He was like the he was during the like the Jets were running the division era of the Patriots. And then he went it's to the Chargers. I believe that once he. OK, so they, they I get them really confused because it feels like the moment Danny Woodhead retired, Rex Burkhead became a, a pretty well-known running back. Well. <laughs> and I feel like they are the exact same player. Not the exact same player. There's a lot of those on the Patriots. Just going through old Patriots running backs is just such a great name because it, it's such a fun game. Like, okay, I got to... I got to go just through the list of Patriot running backs because it's so fun. I mean, obviously, you can go to like Craig James or something like that. And Corey Dillon was actually pretty good, but it's such a fun game to go through all the old Patriots running backs. Oh, remember <laughs> Dion Lewis? Yes, I do. Yeah, oh, he's gosh. Still league, isn't he? He's about, we go into the Titans. I know he went to the Titans afterwards and he was on the Giants. He was on the Giants team that like had Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris beat Russell Wilson, I think. But I thought that was the last time I saw him. He might have retired, but he was pretty young though. That was the last time he played, 2020. Well, running backs backs age out quickly, especially him who's like smaller than Darren Sproles. Yeah. Yeah, He was tiny, but I remember him pretty well. 31. I was correct. 31 years old. The last time he played was 2020 with the Giants. His one last ride was being the backup to Alfred Morris when Morris and Colt McCoy beat Russell Wilson in Seattle. And I I attest now, now that we know what happened there, that was the beginning of the end. That was the beginning of the end (laughs) of the Seahawks was losing a home game. Absolutely. When the Legion of Boom was literally unbeatable in Seattle, losing a home game to Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris and Joe Judge was the beginning of the end for the Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, but I do think, you know, I think they're finally able to reset and, and try to hopefully rebuild and find a new team because, it, you know, they after a couple of Super Bowl, you know, appearances and runs they had with Russell Wilson, I thought after that there, was, there wasn't really much of a chance they would go back, right? I'm very glad they were able to release Bobby Wagner and trade Russell Wilson. I mentioned that in a podcast a couple of months, a weeks back. I said that if the Seahawks want to be able to rebuild for the future, you need to be able to get rid of some of those big guys off your books. I don't know if this is this podcast, but remember I said it in a podcast. Well, you got to get those guys off your books, get cap space, get cap space together, get some draft capital, which they exactly did. They got number, number nine overall. If Malik Willis is there, take Malik Willis. He's your quarterback. I would love that. It's a great fit in Seattle. He's basically the next Russell Wilson in my eyes as well. Uh, his potential, at least, is Russell Wilson in my eyes. As absolute best, that's where he can be. Um, I do think if you can get another younger potential Russell Wilson, that's ideal for your squad, of course. You have great wide receivers already around them. You can hopefully build um, a small pits of linemen, some defense around that with all the cash space you're saving from releasing Bobby Wagner as well. I think it's a very good start to potential rebuild for Seattle for the future. And also, not to mention, 
you're in the same division as the Rams, who, of course, just won the Super Bowl. The Cardinals, who I think have a very, very good roster, even though they didn't really meet expectations at the end of last year. Um, and the 49ers, who were also just there in the championship game uh, as well, the NFC championship game. So you have a very stacked division. Obviously, we're not gonna, going to be at the top of that anymore. So I think it's a good idea to maybe look towards rebuilding and, and trying to open your window whenever everyone else loses their window. Well, it's interesting because I think of a rebuild as like going to the very bottom and then building yourself back up. But as much as the Seahawks have torn this thing apart and like if they play Drew Locke, obviously that signifies that you're like trying to lose, but they haven't really torn the whole thing to the ground either. Like I think even without Russell Wilson, if they do go quarterback and if they try and develop a quarterback, they're kind of going to be in that like seven to 10 pick purgatory and you know, there's also not a lot of tanking teams this year in the NFL. So maybe that changes the math a little bit too. I guess I just think of it like they're not doing like the three year tear it all to the ground and build it back up thing. If they take a quarterback this year, right? Like they're, I think their hope is that this is the highest draft pick they'll have in the rebuild, right? Like the pick they get for Russell Wilson is hopefully the highest yeah. pick that they get. It's it's more of a retool, but the thing is, for me, like whenever you get a new quarterback, I almost always call it a rebuild because you're basically changing your entire scheme and what you're building towards to another player, right? So it's a little bit different. You're almost like entirely building your a team around another quarterback. So in my eyes, I call it a rebuild, but in reality, you're right. It is pretty much a retool because they're still going to have a lot of the same core players. You're still going to have DK Metcalf. You're still going to have guys out there that are younger, that have potential, that I think could be good for the future for your team. You used to have Jamal Adams, of course. Great players are still there. You just now have to have a new quarterback, potentially a new linebacker to roll with for the future. A, a, a couple of new players that hopefully come in are younger, have more potential, and can continue to improve to hopefully get your team to a higher ceiling while you see kind of guys like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, in my eyes, start to slowly regress. That's interesting because – I thought that Seattle was a tanking team. And then I kind of like evaluate the rest of the NFC now. And I'm like, man, there are teams way worse than Seattle. And obviously they play the, they play in a division that they have to play the Rams 49ers and Cardinals six times and play the entire AFC West next year. So that's like 10 of their 17 games. But even still, I guess I think of it like, the NFL is so random that they'll at least get to be in the middle of the pack. Like they'll kind of be where the, the purgatory that the bears are in where they're like going seven and 10 or six and 11 instead of like really bottoming out. And I think that can work out as long as you hit on the quarterback, right? Like if you pick a quarterback this year and say that that person's going to be our guy, then it'll probably work out or they get a generational talent, not at the top of the draft, but we obviously can name more examples of teams messing that up than teams that get it perfectly right. Picking from like pick nine to pick eight. Like it's a lot of Panthers and Broncos who pick like, okay, players, but no like game breaking talents in the middle of the draft. Yeah. And, and it's weird because I don't remember the last time we've seen the Seahawks with a pick this high, right? We're always used to them being one of those teams that go out and get those like, players that you're really confused on like yeah just all year was i was gonna say they pick only running backs and linebackers that's the joke there they pick not as not as much as the cardinals only pick linebackers but it's like only running backs and linebackers yeah it's it's weird you have the rashad penny you have uh jordan brooks guys that were in my eyes reaches right like they, they they really are afraid to dive down and get a guy to you know that that a lot of people don't 
you know, expected the up there. They, they like to be different, right? And so it's going to be interesting to see where they go with pick nine, if they're going to look for a Malik Willis type, which I think is, you know, one of the more likely options right now. They're, they position themselves well to be able to get a Malik Willis if they wanted to. Or is it pick nine? I believe it's pick, it's pick it, eight. It's maybe? pick nine. They have pick nine okay. in the okay. draft, okay. I believe, because yeah. pick right. eight, I think, is the Falcons. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they're, they're positioning themselves nicely to get maybe Malik Willis. If not, if, it gets, if it's not Malik Willis, you still have potentially a Matt Corral or a Kenny Pickett go after. I do think, in my opinion, I do think the smartest move for Seattle this year is to get a quarterback unlike the Giants, who I think can, can wait an extra year. Um, because I do think that you're at that, at that point, you're looking for the – that's where the quarterback value really is, right? Compared to what their grades are, that's where the top quarterback should go is around pick eight or nine to the Falcons or Seahawks. The Seahawks have the chance to get the quarterback that they have graded highest there. I think they should take it because, of course, no one wants Drew Locke as their franchise quarterback. I'm just, I'm sorry. That's just not, not no, going to happen, right? That's why they're, that's why they're linked to literally every quarterback that comes available. They get linked to literally every quarterback available because they're the only team that clearly doesn't have a starting quarterback. They clearly have Drew Locke. And it's funny because you, you look at this team and the NFC as a whole, and you mentioned this earlier, this is a team that still is not the worst in the NFC, right? They're, what, what, you think they're, I think they're middle of the pack, right? If you get a solid oof, quarterback on that oof. roster. Oof. That middle of the, the pack is stretching it a little bit, but not they're not terrible, but middle of the pack is stretching it a bit. I admit every team in the NFC South is terrible. Just everyone there is terrible, but... Uh, let me say, let me say, if if you get a a solid, let's say we get get an average quarterback this year, right? I think they're better than the Lions. I think they're, I would put them, you know, maybe a little bit higher than the Bears. Uh, I Mm -hmm. can see that being maybe an argument. Uh, I I think they're better than, uh, you know, Carolina almost. Yeah, they're better in Carolina. They're better than uh, Atlanta, of course. They're better than the Giants, Giants, in my opinion. They're better than, yeah, that's five. Even still, that's about where I'd put them. Like they're right there. They're right there in that New Orleans Saints, Washington football team tier of of teams, right? But you look at that A. If you you put that same exact team in the AFC, which one with that A? That team being one of the I mean third, maybe the third and second worst team in the AFC, which is just a testament to how insane AFC is this year. Yeah, it's just a weird power imbalance thing right now. Is like this happens all the time in sports because you can't control who which teams get what. Maybe like being in a conference influences influences you to either tank or try or you know whatever it is or go for it. Like I know the Vikings restructure. I know we laughed at the Vikings giving Kirk Cousins a one year extension, but it cleared fifteen million in cap space and they gave that fifteen million to Zadarius Smith. So like I, they're trying. And that makes them the sixth best team in the NFC because I could argue only five teams are trying in the NFC, but that's still not you know a perfect scenario for them to be in. I just think it's interesting for that same reason is that I've been joking for the last week or so that we're all going to be so unhappy when Washington's playing a playoff game this year because <laughs> no, because they're not good, but someone has to get the sixth and seventh playoff spots in the NFC. So we're all just going to be brutally unhappy when Washington's playing a playoff game this year. Kind of like how the Eagles got whomped 31 yeah. 0. Yep. It should have been the Saints. The, the Saints, I'm not saying the Saints would have gone to the NFC Championship. I'm saying the Saints could have done what the 49ers did. Last year, we're talking about this exact same thing with the, with the whoever gets that last seed. This is going to be yes, what I called the and, uh, my phrase for it was the bottomless pit of hell that is the seventh NFC playoff spot. 
and, and now it's going to be, in my opinion, even worse because now the Packers aren't as good. They lose their best player, Devontae Adams, of course, now. So you don't have, you, you know, you, you're one of their best players, of course, Aaron Rodgers is still there. They're probably still going to win the division, right? But it's not as good of a team there. Minnesota's still very average, in my opinion. You you look at other different teams around the, the league. <laughs> but this is, really is this is the beauty of Kirk Cousins' purgatory, right? Is that like last year they were the ninth best team in the NFC. They didn't change at all, but because three teams got worse, they're now the sixth best team in the NFC. Right, it's exactly. the beauty of being in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. They, they, I want to predict them in the playoffs this year, not because they're better, because everyone else is worse. That's just yeah, why, because, right? So this is your point about the Packers that I agree with. The Packers are, are worse than they were last year, but the division is so bad, they're going to win it by default. Same thing with Tampa. Right. Like Tom Brady tried to... I'm, I'm stunned this wasn't reported more. Like Tom Brady tried to go to the Dolphins with Sean Payton. There's clearly some animosity in Tampa. They're clearly losing some of those pieces. Some of them went to the Bengals on the offensive line. And they're clearly worse, but the rest of the division is so shit that the Bucks are still going to win the division just by default. And the Cowboys are kind of worse, but they're still going to win their division just by default because no one else I mean, in that division can compete with them. People don't talk about enough how how much talent the Cowboys lost as a whole. They lose Amari Cooper, of course, which I think made sense for them, right, to get rid of Amari Cooper. But they didn't get much back in return at all. So in terms of, of talent-wise, you lost a lot of talent there for nothing much in return. Well, you, they just course, got cap space. Wilson. They got cap space, and then right, they gave exactly. $13 million of it to Michael Gallup. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So essentially you just chose Michael Gallup over Amari Cooper, which I mean, I think for the Cowboys and for the future, that makes sense for them because it was, of course, it was known that they want to roll with CD Lamb as their wide receiver one. So not blaming them for the move, but as a whole, in terms of how good your team is, your team technically got worse, even though it might be the smarter move for the future. Um, you also lose Randy Gregory, which I think is a, a move that no one talks about, talks about enough, who goes to the Broncos. I think Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb playing apart from each other is a nightmare. For different teams. It's not the best edge rushing duo in the AFC West. It's not even the second best edge rushing duo in the AFC West, but it's a very good duo of guys out there. It's not Chandler Jones and, and Max Crosby. It's not uh, Joey Bosa and Cleo Mack, but it might very well be still a top five edge rushing duo in the NFL. I just think that's how good <laughs> it is. It is West the is. definition of the Broncos, right? It's like, well, they're not the best. They're not the second best, but they're still pretty good. That's pretty much everything that encapsulates yeah. the Broncos right now. Right. Yeah. And, and now they finally have a, a pretty good quarterback and a very good defense to roll with for the future. Uh, people don't realize how big of a loss that is for the Cowboys, though. I mean, that, 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 that's now a team that's a pretty sizable gap at edge rusher. I do think they have a couple of needs still on defense. They now no longer have a wide receiver three that they can really trust to roll with. I do think there are some gaps to the Cowboys, but no one else in that team in that division is going to be better than the Cowboys. You know, the Eagles are <laughs> oh, okay, yes. but they have Jalen Hurts. <laughs> Right, the Washington football team are okay. They have Carson Wentz. They're not beating Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. They, the Dallas Cowboys could be nine and nine and eight, and they would still win a division because everyone else could be so bad. I could I could be talked into Washington like just getting really lucky in one possession games because like Washington last year was a seven win team on paper, and I think they won eight games. And Washington the year before was a seven win team on paper, and they won eight games. And they ended, or maybe they won seven games last year. I think they have the eleven picks. So I think they won seven games last year. So upgrading from Heineke to Wentz and doing nothing else, I guess technically makes you like an eight win team on paper. And if you get lucky in one possession games, you could get 10 wins. That's why I, I made the joke that we're all going to be brutally unhappy when Washington makes the playoffs. So like I, Washington's the only team I could see putting up a fight like the Saints 
clearly bad. Um, Falcons clearly tanking. Carolina clearly incompetent. Uh, Detroit still tanking. Chicago, no way to improve their team. And yeah, I think just everyone else being bad means that they're going to get to get easy wins again, or everyone's just going to beat each other up. Like we talked about with the right. bottomless pit of hell that is the NFC seven seed. Maybe they all just beat each other up and everyone gets to go seven and 10 and eight and nine, like last year. <laughs> and, and it's funny because the, the, the more, the more different they are, the exact same they will be. It's the exact same situation in the AFC, except every team's good. Right, it's the exact same, <laughs> the exact same thing. Everyone's gonna be nine and eight, ten and seven, all fighting for that spot. But someone's gonna end up being one of the bottom teams in the AFC next year. Someone's gonna end up, you know, we're gonna go. We're talking about the Cleveland Browns potentially being eight and nine and having the seventh or eighth overall pick in next year's draft. Even though I would argue they're one of the most talented teams in the NFL right now, that's a, that's a legitimate possibility with how stacked the AFC is because they're playing such hard opponents and everyone else is so good. It's going to be tougher for those teams that are still really good, but maybe get a little bit unlucky. They're, yeah. they're screwed. They're gonna Someone who thinks they're going to make the playoffs is going to finish 12th in the AFC, <laughs> Tennessee Titans, <laughs> Tennessee Titans. And <laughs> it's interesting how, everyone's still trying to go for it. Like everyone is saying, bleep it. We're still going to try and go for it because NFL is random and all the great quarterbacks are in the AFC. And if we're the dolphins and we don't have a great quarterback, we just say bleep it. We're going to try anyways. Or if we're the jets, we're like bleep it. We're going to try anyways, even though like Josh Allen's going to dominate our division. No one's even talking about the Patriots either. Like the Patriots might be bad next year because most teams that spend a bunch of money like in year two after spending a bunch of money tend to regress. But New England did technically make the playoffs. And at one point we were saying they were like going to go to the conference championship because we did the Belichick thing. Like I don't even know what to do with them in the hodgepodge of teams because maybe they're the team that finishes 13th in the AFC. Like on paper, the Patriots are like the 12th or 13th best team in the AFC. It's kind of weird how that works out. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots were a team that we we're talking about potentially being, um, you know, potential AFC, you know, AFC champion, uh, you know, AFC champion possible. Like, you know, I don't know how to explain it very well, but they, they had a chance of spoiling the Bills. They had a there, chance. Yes, the, I, the there was a time after, after the Patriots beat the Bills in that weird snow game, people were saying the Patriots exactly. were the second best team in the AFC. Exactly. And now we're talking about them being, in my opinion, uh, we were, I was talking about this earlier after they were the Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins trade, which I don't know if you talked about yet, but still blows my mind that that even happened. And I, I, I still am confused on, on why it happened. I, I don't understand on the Chiefs part. I really don't understand that much on the Dolphins part, even though it's a great player. It's just a weird trade to me. Um, but, but of course, with that happening, I do think the Dolphins, in my opinion, climbed the Patriots in terms of talent overall. You compare the Patriots to the rest of the AFC, you know, they're better than the Jets, in my opinion. They're better than the Jaguars. I would say they're better than the Texans. Outside of that, they have the fourth worst team in the AFC now. Just straight up, the fourth worst team in the AFC. That's crazy. Yeah. Could you help me settle something with the Dolphins while we're on the topic? Because I know that, you know, Mike McDaniel's the new coach there and he's the zone running scheme guy. And I will attest that we don't give coaches enough credit for they will adapt based on the personnel that they have. Even if they run a zone running scheme, if they have all these wide receivers, they're going to try and throw the ball more. Um, I think the Dolphins running back room is still really bad, even though they added names this offseason. You, you can still pretty much argue that Gaskin is the number one. 
and the other guys are just going to kind of fill in after that. So like yeah. maybe they do the like if you really want to suspend disbelief and say Mike McDaniel can do the 49er thing where all the running backs are interchangeable and all of them will run for 150 yards in a tip in two touchdowns, like seven different Niners running backs have done over the last three years. Like even if you want to believe that McDaniel is going to bring that to the Dolphins, I still feel like the Dolphins running back room is really bad. Yeah, it's, it's below average still. I mean, Miles Gaskin, I think, and I hope would be running back two on this team because I do think Raheem Mostair is still a guy that needs to, you know, heal up. I don't know how well he's going to be for the future. I don't even know how much he's signed for. I don't think it was a lot, but I don't imagine him being a very good player. I hope Chase Edmonds is the is the running back one. I think it makes the most sense in my eyes. I like what he did last year. Wasn't completely healthy throughout the season. Does have some concerns. He's not a workhorse running back by any means. He's not even really a good running running back. He's mainly a pass catcher out of the backfield, right? But I do think in the Mike McDaniel's offense, it makes the most sense for him to be the guy that sees the field the most often. But you're right. Like, it's still a below average running back room, in my opinion. None of those guys are eye-popping. They're, you know, I would say all four or three of them, excuse me, are below average running starting running backs uh, at the next level. You also look at their wide receiver core now. You have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, who are great players. Don't get me wrong. But they're the exact same player at the same time in terms of what they do. They're both elite Z receivers who rely on their speed and and motion out of the backfield. You can't do that for both. So one of them to sacrifice and play a different kind of game, unless, you know, the Dolphins take out the the Chiefs book and do the exact same thing with Nicole Hardman and Tyree Kill. You just change it and, you know, and do different things at different times. That makes a little bit of sense to me, but it would only make sense if you had Patrick Mahomes quarterback. You have Tua Tonga Viola who cannot – throw a deep ball at the same level I've got Patrick Mahomes. So that deep threat that you have in Tyreek Hill is not much of a deep threat anymore. He's only going to be a gadget guy, which was already Jalen Waddle's job. So it confuses me a little bit how that works out. You also just paid Cedric Wilson a lot of money. And then you also have Devontae Parker who's there. So you have four wide receivers who are all looking for playing time, all expected to start. <laughs> Don't forget about Gasecki. Don't forget about a Gasecki. They franchise tagged <laughs> <still> him. <laughs> he's still there. And I didn't know this until recently. They just cut Alan Hearns. Apparently he's still there as well. So you had everyone. <laughs> Alan Hearns is um, also on that Jaguars team. I Googled when I looked up Cecil shorts. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like literally they had everyone there. They have, I mean, I will say it, they, they have everyone and also well. no one, right. That's the joke with the dolphins. They have right. everyone there and also no one who can play wide receiver. Like they were, they, they spent six years convincing themselves. Devonte Parker <laughs> could be a number one. Well, now they have two really good wide receivers. Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill are two great wide receivers, but you have one of the worst quarterbacks in the AFC. One of the worst. It's just, Plain and simple. I mean, how many of how many quarterbacks are we taking over? Uh, uh, over, or how many quarterbacks are taking uh, to a Tungavaloa over? I I don't fourteen. Know. Fourteen. I, I'd go fourteen. The only one I wouldn't was is um the only one I wouldn't take is Davis Mills and maybe Trubisky, but yeah, let's say thirteen so, fourteen. So, I, I went generous. I went generous, right? I said Davis Mills and Trubisky were the two that I would not take. I, I went generous in saying both of that because we, we haven't really seen Trubisky lately. Back up, as far as we know right now, not very trustworthy. I said Davis Mills as well, even though Davis Mills had a better season than Tua last year in my eyes. So there's an argument to be made that Davis Mills could be over him as well. But then you, but also people are arguing Trevor Lawrence after his rough year. I don't think that's true at all. Trevor Lawrence, yeah, is I think I think Tua, Wilson, yeah, Wilson and Lawrence are just incomplete, right? Like Wilson and Lawrence. We have no idea. And with Tua, I don't think we know what he is. My argument with Tua is that 
we don't know what he is, but we know what he isn't at this point. We know he isn't an elite quarterback. We know he's not Justin Herbert from two years of work, even with a, you know, terrible offensive line for the dolphins. The last two years, we're still pretty convinced. He's not Justin Herbert. He can be a tier three quarterback at times. He can make big throws at times. And also, you know, this was the thing you were talking about with the wide receivers is they can make Jalen Waddle Jarvis Landry. Like that's what they were doing at the start of the season before they kind of picked up steam with the offense late in the year. Like they can just make Jalen Waddle a, you know, short yardage offense guy and let him do yards after catch stuff and Tyreek Hill doing end around runs and things like that. They can do that in the offense. It's just not an ideal situation other than the ideal part of let your best players do what they do best. The problem is, is like you said, they have to have someone get Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle the ball in Tua, which is either going to be short field completions or a lot of end around runs is like the ideal way of running the offense, which is not ideal, but I think it can work. I think having Tyreek Hill and Waddle each taking like five end around runs a game is an offense that can work like just pure speed guys. It would obviously just work better if they could burn people down the field and get those touchdowns. Right. Yeah. No, I, I do think there, you know, there, there's a good point to be made. And, and I think overall, you look at the Dolphins, they can find success in what they have. In my opinion, offensively, they are a lot better. <laughs> Again, are they top 16, which they haven't been in years? Are they top 16 as an offense? It's arguable because the two is not that good. So are they going to find a lot of success? This is going to prove whether or not Patrick Mahomes need Tyreek Hill more than Tyreek Hill need to Patrick Mahomes. In my opinion, it is far and away the, the fact that Tyreek Hill needs Patrick Mahomes to be the elite receiver he is. Does Tyreek Hill deserve to be paid the same amount as Devontae Adams? Absolutely not. No. He's a great <laughs> receiver. He's a top five receiver, I will say. Maybe fifth, maybe fourth. He's great. He is not Devontae Adams good. Never has, never will be. He had a lot of a lot of help from Patrick Mahomes. And you compare stats, like some, some guy pulled up stats of DJ Moore and Tyreek Hill. Very similar stats to those guys. Now, Tyreek Hill's definitely a better receiver than DJ Moore. I don't think it's arguable. Also, Tyreek Hill had missing time while DJ Moore played almost every single game he uh, he's played so far in the last three seasons. But I, I look at Tyreek Hill and I, I think like, you know, this is a big risk because, you know, you're getting paid a lot more and granted that's great, but I feel like the chiefs were offering him very similar money in my opinion. And I would almost be willing to take that even if it's not on guarantee, because you're going to meet all the non-guaranteed incentives. You're going to meet all those incentives of Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. It's just going to happen. Right. I think in the long run, maybe you're making maybe just one, $2 million less than what you'd be making if you're the dolphins, but you're going to have a lot more success. You're going to have a lot more bonuses. It's going to be a lot better of a time in Kansas city compared to the Miami dolphins. So for me, Tyree kills decision didn't make a lot of sense. I'm shocked that the chiefs weren't willing to pay him that much i do think uh the move they just made today get something mark was Dallas scantling for 10 year 10 million years a very questionable move i didn't like that at all um i do think there's a lot of worries about how they're going to attack their weapons but i still think they're going to be one of the best teams in the afc still it, it really is a weird confusing move on the part of all three teams in my opinion because i think all three i don't know it's just all three parties at least on tyree kill's part to get the dolphins on the dolphins part to get tyree kill on the chiefs trading away tyree kill it just didn't make sense it just doesn't it feels like a clunky fit that's not going to work out we're gonna look back on this and be like why did he do that so in fairness tyree kill and the dolphins are doing some salary cap gymnastics to make this work so his cap hit next year is only like seven million dollars 
And it's like after that 31, 24, 28. So like they're doing some cool salary cap gymnastics to make it work. The, the thing that's interesting from the Chiefs point also is Tyreek Hill is a Hall of Famer and also like the fourth most important Hall of Famer in that Chiefs organization, right? Like that's the weird part about making the system or the system making the person is like, it's a little bit of a combination of both, right? Like Tyreek Hill benefits from being the second best receiver on his team and having the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football and the greatest offensive mind in the history of the sport. And that's the really complex part. Cause like, I agree with you on the Tyreek Hill is not as good as that suggests. We saw it with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey was a very good to above average tight end. And then Mahomes gets there and he's a hall of famer. Like, I think that that's like very much a true fact about the, the skill level of the person throwing you the ball. But that's the reason we all like, don't believe this is a good move, right? Like we all just don't trust Tua as a quarterback. And it, the same thing happened with Odell Beckham and the same thing happens with all sorts of guys where it's like, yeah, the, the quarterback has to get you the ball to succeed as a wide receiver. It's why even as great as Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are, we don't think of them as those 15 game changing players that we listed at the end of the season, right? Like we were like, maybe Devontae, maybe Tyreek Hill, but we didn't really put them in that camp because you know, Mike Evans or Keenan Allen with, you know, similarly good quarterback play sometimes put up similar numbers to those guys. It's not the same as Tyree kill, but Tyree kill benefits from having one of the three quarterbacks in the NFL who can get him the ball 50 yards down the field. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's, it's great analysis because you're completely right on all accounts. Like to a, this is going to improve to his play. I think in terms of statistics, he's going to look better. Um, Tua is already a guy that you look at his stats. He does not throw a lot of interceptions. He has a couple of good, a lot of more touchdowns to interceptions. Sort of ratio, I think it's like two point three, two point four touchdown to interception ratio. So he's an efficient quarterback. But this guy's throwing two thousand five hundred yards a season, right? When you look at many quarterbacks, yeah, you know, he has averages normally he, I three thousand five hundred at the least. I was going to say, I think he averages like one fewer yard per pass attempt than Teddy Bridgewater. Right. So I mean, it, this is a guy that obviously. He's not going to win you football games. And you, which, what did you do? You just got a player that is forcing you now to have Tua win you football games. Is Tua going to win you football games? I, we don't know the answer to that yet because he's never really tried it in the NFL, right? They've really done a lot to hide him. But do I think he's going to be Brian able to Brian Flores no. wanted to play Fitzpatrick. Like, that's the crazy right. part about all of that. <laughs> and he was right to do it. And I said that in the podcast many, many, mm-hmm. a couple years back. It, it was, it was the most it was the most Patrick. passionate take I've ever heard you have. You were so passionate about this is the wrong move to put Tua in as the starter. And I think the the reason you end up being proven right is because Tua wasn't as good as we thought he was, but you were absolutely correct about that part of it. You were adamant pounding it on the table and you get to be right very clearly 2 years later. Yeah, I mean, on hindsight, I did not see Tua being what we see Tua as now. So am I completely right? No, because it didn't exactly evolve the way I thought it would be. I thought two would be better year two than what he was year one. Was he better? I would say yes, but very slightly. I expect the bigger jump from two than what we got. Is it possible that he takes a big jump year three now that he's a better, much better roster around him? Yes, I think it definitely helps that you've got a, an elite left tackle in Teron Armstead now to, to help protect him on the blind side, or help protect him at least not on the blind side because he's a left-hander, but 
you finally have an elite left tackle. You finally have an, another elite wide receiver matchup with Jalen Waddle. I think you, you had a much better roster to win now. You have a new offensive-minded head coach. I think it really helped Tua. There are cases you made that he will improve, but even even if he improves again this year, he's still not a top 10 quarterback in the AFC. He's not going to beat Patrick Mahomes one-on-one. He's not going to beat Justin Herbert one-on-one. He's not going to beat Russell Wilson one-on-one. He's not going he to might not beat, beat Kirk Cousins one-on-one. <laughs> it's, it's a great I mean, maybe he wouldn't in Derek Carr. He's not better than Derek Carr, even even if he improves. I just I just don't see this. <laughs> he might not be able to beat the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan one-on-one. <laughs> there's a very good op, there's a very good argument made that he cannot. Um, because I really just have not been impressed by what I've saw so far from two in the NFL level. So it just confuses me a lot. I still really like two as a quarterback. I really do. I do think that he can be a very fun quarterback to have. This is not the roster to build around him as a third year player that has not showed you any potential. This is a roster you build around Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. That that This is what you build around them. You give Josh Allen Tyreek Hill, he will be the MVP next year, right? Tua is not going to use Tyreek Hill at that same capacity. It's a waste of Tyreek Hill's talent. It's a waste. It's going to hurt Tua in the long run because he's going to be forcing more deep passes down the field. It's going to risk some more interceptions and things like that. Tyreek Hill is also a guy that really requires someone that is accurate with the ball, right? And I think Tua is a, a pretty accurate quarterback. I think he's more accurate than not, but is he accurate enough? I don't know because Tyreek is a very small wide receiver. He cannot make a lot of contested catches, obviously. He relies on the quarterback fitting it in the tight spaces to get receptions. Do I trust Tua to do that? Not to the same level as Patrick Mahomes. So this is a big risk. It's a big, big risk because I don't think it's going to work out. So before we head out, I wanted to ask you about the Chiefs and the Packers because you're a draft guy, but also you're just a general NFL fan. Because the thing that I found fascinating about the Packers trading Devontae Adams was this is a unique chance for them to rebuild an entire wide receiver core from scratch. And they had, after signing Rasul Douglas, like $20 million in cap space and four draft picks in the first, or I think six draft picks in the first two days of the draft this year. And now the Kansas City Chiefs are trying the same thing. And, you know, the reason I think that these trades won't work out is historically, Chiefs and Packers versus Raiders and Dolphins. I think it's better to bet on the Chiefs and Packers than it is to historically bet on the Raiders and Dolphins to be making the right moves. But the Chiefs are kind of in the same boat and their receiving core is kind of built out now, but they still have the, you know, obviously 12 draft picks in this year's draft. The Chiefs, this is the thing I'm telling people, the Chiefs have more draft picks than any other team in this year's draft. So see what they do with those and watch how the team comes back around. Everyone else is improving now and the Chiefs are waiting for the draft to build their entire roster out. But what do you think about rebuilding entire receiving cores? Like you have the blank slate the way it is now. How would you go about it if you're like either of those teams? Obviously, given now, like we kind of know who the Chiefs receivers are going to be, but they might still draft one. Right. Yeah. So um, in my opinion, um, the, you look at the Chiefs and what they have. I'll start the Chiefs first. Nicole Hardman is going to be their Z receiver, in my opinion. He's not going to be – he shouldn't be your first – I wouldn't even say your second target. Of course, you have Travis Kelsey to be one of those guys ahead of them. I think he's a good third target. He's a good Z receiver to, to allow you to stretch the field. Now, I did not like the idea of signing Marquez Valdez-Scantling because he's probably going to be playing your ex, and I don't like that because – there's a lot of really good X receivers in this draft class. I really, really thought and still think for the Chiefs, the smartest move is to go out and get a Traylon Burks or a Drake London, a guy that is very big, physical, and can win in contested situations. Similar to how Sammy Watkins was, I think to a higher and better level 
for them, uh, for, for, for the Chiefs. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes has never really had a chance to have a big, strong, good receiver on the outside, like a, like a T. Higgins type guy, right? He's never really had that. And you give him one of those guys. You give him a DeAndre Hopkins-esque wide receiver that can win and his contested catches on the outside. He's going to be able to put that ball exactly where every receiver needs to catch it. And Traylon Brooks and Drake London have safe hands, the safe safety blanket alongside Travis Kelsey. So now not only do you have one speed guy, Miko Hartman, that can get down the field and beat you, you also have two guys in intermediate, maybe even deep ranges of the field, like Kelsey and Drake London or Traylon Brooks, who can also um, beat you know a single coverage or double teams whenever needed because they're so big and long. So I think this is that that would make the most sense for me if I'm the uh, Chiefs to go for one of those guys. I also see a good scenario where Chris Olave maybe is a guy that can have a lot of success there. But I think Chris Olave later is a better fit for the Packers, in my opinion, because I do think Chris Olave is you know a little bit smaller. He's a good route runner. I do think he has a lot of good potential. He's fast as well. But in terms of being an X receiver, I don't think it fits that scheme as much. It would make a lot of sense for him to play more in the slot, though, for the Chiefs uh, with maybe Mark was about a scantling and Nico Hartman on the outside. So then you have three solid receivers, in my opinion, and Travis Kelsey. That is a very spread out dynamic. So you don't, you know that, you know, a lot of people know that Patrick Mahomes is going after Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey every single play. I think you get four solid receivers like that. You don't really know where he's going and it scares everyone, right? Because he can go anywhere now. Now, flip over to the Packers. I really think the Packers have one receiver that I can trust that will be solid for the future right now. And that's Alan Lazard, right? The uh, that's so gross. That's so <laughs> gross that Alan that's Lazard it. is their number one. Not Amari Rogers, not a fan of Amari Rogers or Randall okay, Cobb. So, <laughs> so here's here's what I was gonna mention. Amari Rogers and Randall Cobb are two solid safety blankets, right? And that's probably gonna be your other starter. You have Alan Lazard as one that got on the outside. Your slot receiver is probably going to be split between Amari Rodgers and Randall Cobb. Where I would go is looking for a good, faster Z receiver. I really think Chris Olave is the best fit there for that team, a good field stretcher. Another guy that Rodgers has really never had, I think, uh, almost similar to the Patriots. It's almost, or excuse me, Chiefs. It's almost, it's almost like I think that they're going to do the exact opposite of what we usually see them do. You usually see the Chiefs go after the faster guy that can get down the field. I think they should go for the more Devontae Adams type of bigger guy. Just a quick or, well, tangent Adams before we go on with this, because I like this point. Do you think Jordy Nelson was a stretch receiver? I think Jordy Nelson was a very good route runner, a guy that could win. Um, he was fast enough to be a stretcher guy, but I think that. I, I but he doesn't hold water to Chris Olave, is what you're saying. Like he, he, yes. he was like, you had to stretch it. He doesn't hold water to the talent that Chris Olave is. Chris Olave is more athletic in terms of being able to. Um, I, I think he's definitely faster than Jordy Nelson. I think he's probably going to be able to get down the field at a lot quicker rate. I think that he's got better agility. Jordy Nelson was a great receiver. I think Olave has more has better physical traits than Jordy Nelson in that case, right? So I, I think Chris Olave is a better speed guy that can maybe win deep and allow you to maybe have guys like Alan Lazard and Robert Tanyan and maybe the, the slot receivers to be able to um, to be able to you know win in the middle of the field as well. I think that that really helps safeties have to play back on, of course, Olave while you let a guy like Robert Tanyan come over the middle and get a wide open pass for 10, 10 11 yards. I think that really works for the Packers, but. I will also say, I really think the smart idea the Packers take two wide receivers in this class. Maybe not both in the first round, of course. I don't think it's a smart idea, but do I think that they should take two receivers? Yes. I think another guy I really like to fit with him is Christian Watson, the wide receiver from North Dakota State. I love Christian Watson. Really fun. Another super athletic guy. He ran a 4-2-8, a very fast receiver, but that's not why I like 
He's also six foot four. Just a big guy that can also <laughs> win deep as well. He's an ideal X receiver. And Aaron Rodgers with a six foot four, four two eight guy. That's just that's a match made in heaven, right? That's just absolutely ideal uh, because Rodgers knows how to fit the ball in great places. He's going to give Christian Watts to be able a chance to be able to catch the ball um, in contested catch situations. He's also going to be able to hit him deep whenever he beats his man. So Christian Watson can be an unstoppable force if he matches up with Aaron Rodgers. So in my opinion, I would love it for the Packers to go out and get an extra receiver. I, I mentioned Christian Watson. It could also be different guys like Drake London, maybe maybe Traylon Burks. Maybe you get a guy later in the in the draft. I don't know. And then me as a receiver, like a Jahan Dotson or a Chris Olave or, you know, any of those guys. I think if you can get two of those guys match up with your roster, I think it's very, very solid for the Packers. So that's interesting that you brought that up because first of all, why wouldn't any team want a guy who's six foot four and can run like a four, four or four, three? Why would anyone not want that guy? But still, I, I think... Kansas City and Green Bay are in that interesting place where it seems like the draft is going to be their path because they have so many picks. But I think that's an interesting pivot, right? Is like everyone is going all in right now and they're seeing what happened with Josh Allen and with Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs last year and the Bengals could win with like the 17th ranked offense and the 16th ranked defense and everyone's everyone thinks they're close, right? In the weird NFL, everyone thinks they're close and those players, Tyreek Hill and Devonte Adams never come available and you know you want to make that move or that quarterback never becomes available or that edge rusher never becomes available or whatever it might be it's interesting that the franchises that we think of as like the most well run and I know Green Bay we used to crap on them for like McCarthy and them were ruining the Aaron Rodgers time but like now we think of them as a really well run organization it's interesting that those teams are going to the we value draft picks now while everyone else is valuing, you know, everything is valuing big trade slash spending slash whatever else it might be. I, I don't know if it's true or false or if this is like where the, the, the Chiefs and Packers fall from grace and where other teams rise up. But it's interesting to see that it's happening this transparently. That this is both those teams actually. I, I love that you mentioned that because both those teams are going to be two teams that I'm really going to pay a lot of attention to for the draft this year. I'm really looking for both of those teams and looking at what the moves they make for me to be able to really judge on whether or not they're going to be good or not. Based off of history, I trust them to still be good football teams, and based off their quarterback play, I still think they're going to be easy playoff teams no matter what happens in this draft. But I do think this can definitely play a factor in whether or not the Chiefs and the Packers are still going to be contingent, still top teams in their divisions, top teams in their conferences, potential Super Bowl contenders for the future. Because if they don't draft these receivers well, I really do worry about how, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes can elevate any talent. There's still going to be a thousand yard receiver that we're talking about. We're talking about Juju Smith Schuster potentially being a thousand yard receiver for the Chiefs next level, right? It's, it, he was a fourteen hundred yard receiver two years ago or three right. years ago. Like people are quick to forget that with him. <laughs> And we're we're talking about him. We're talking about guys like uh, you know uh, um, Alan Lazard. Also, maybe I guess for 700, 800 yards. Yeah, that season, one, right? that one, I can't believe. That one, I can't believe. Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard can't be a thousand yard receiver. I think that's just physically not allowed in the NFL. I don't think Alan Lazard can be a thousand yard receiver. But I could be wrong. It'll be funny. I should clip this and save it next year and see how good Alan Lazard is because. I'm learning now if Hunter Renfro can go for 1,200 yards and more touchdowns than Mike Ev or more touchdowns than Stephon Diggs and more yards than Mike Evans, then maybe anyone can go for a thousand yards. Right. I mean, and that's more of a testament to how good the quarterbacks are rather than how good Lazard is. Right. I mean, the quarterback's going to find ways to get receivers the ball in open space. They're just that good, both Mahomes and and Rodgers. So I think that they will be good. 
in that case, they will still find success with the receivers they have. But in order to be Super Bowl good, you need a Tyree Kill. You need Devontae Adams on your roster. You have to find it, whether it's in this year's draft or in the future. Um, I, I think the longer they wait, the less the, the more the window closes for the future for this team. I think both both teams, as long as they're able to lock down the quarterbacks for the pursuit of future, which they have, which they have so far with Rodgers and Mahomes, are on an opening are on a very wide open window, right? Five or six years, I think they're still going to be contenders down the line. Now, if you don't have a good receiver, I think it's, so that makes it to where the window may be a little bit more hard to get to consistently every season. Maybe instead of making the Super Bowl every three seasons, maybe every four or five. And that becomes a problem because you're wasting Patrick Mahomes and, and Rodgers' talent with four players around them. So the Rodgers one, I agree there. The Chiefs one is interesting, of course, because Tyreek Hill was technically the number two receiver on his team, which is insane because Tyreek Hill is like, the, you know, five all pros and six Pro Bowls in his career. But Kelsey is still the number one on that team. And that's a really yeah. interesting space to reside in because Kansas City does have the number one. Everything else kind of fills in the gaps. And, you know, if they're going to take what the defense gives them, which is everyone knows to, you know, I think by the playoffs, I think it was like 94% of plays were two high safeties for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like defenses played two high safeties 94% of the time, I think is a stat that exists. I, I didn't double check it before, but I think that's a thing that exists. So if they're just going to take what the defense gives them, I think you'd want reception guys like uh, Juju or Valdez Scantling or, you know, whoever they add in the draft or a Pringle or whoever, a Pringle, whoever they add uh, around that. And then, you know, Mikkel Hardman can do some of the same things Tyree Kill can. Maybe he doesn't get the same separation like Tyree Kill had on that touchdown at the end of the playoff game against the Bills where he's throwing up the deuces and going by everyone. Like maybe Mikkel Hardman isn't that, but Mikkel Hardman can still give them enough at like, you know, $4 million instead of $30 million. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because it's a great point, but I will say, I think in the league that you see now, almost all the teams that have success have two elite weapons they can re- usually rely on, right? We saw it this year in the Super Bowl with Jamar Chase T. Higgins. We also saw it with Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. until he got hurt, of course. We saw it with Debo Samuel and George Kittle. We see it with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, of course. We, we saw it with, um, you know, I think that's the one thing that the, the Bills really missed on was was having to, another elite guy next to Stephon Diggs until Gabe Davis broke out in the, in the game against the Chiefs, of course, right? You didn't really have another reliable guy aside from him. I think the best teams and the teams that like to go regularly have two great targets to go after. I agree with you. Travis Kelsey is 100% their wide receiver one, in my opinion, or their first weapon that they use, right? But here's the problem. Travis Kelsey has a benefit of having uh, Tyree Kelsey in the top of the defense because that makes it to where Travis Kelsey is able to find open gaps in the middle of the field, which he does at an elite level to get wide open for Tyreek for Patrick Mahomes to hit. Now, Nicole Hardman can still do that same job. I'm not, you're, you're right in saying that, but at the same time, I do think there definitely is more of a factor of Tyreek Hill scaring defenses more than a Nicole Hardman would, right? I think Nicole Hardman, I think teams are more able to, teams are be more worried now about Travis Kelsey than they are going to be Mikko Harbin. It's not really, you know, a debate, right? I can definitely see a team sticking a fast receiver one-on-one against, or fast corner one-on-one against Mikko Hardman and having two 
maybe even three guys on Travis Kelsey at a time because he's that good. Tyreek Hill, you had to have another safety on top because you knew that if, that if Kelsey isn't open, Tyreek Hill beating someone deep. It's just going to happen. Um, so I do think that, you know, you are totally right. Juju Smith-Schuster is a great compliment. That's a great start to helping rebuild this wide receiver core. I do also think getting another guy out there that can be an extra really reliable weapon apart from Travis Kelsey can, be, can do wonders for the Chiefs. Uh, I do think that, Getting a top dog again is ideal for Kansas City if they want to continue to win Super Bowls. And the Chiefs, I think, are doing the Patriot thing, right? Where they can make that exist because they have the greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL. And for my money, the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football. Like they're banking, they can they can find one of them. It might not be Juju and it might not be whoever their first round pick is this year, but they can find someone. Like they can right. find someone who can be that number two and get them at a value play. Like that's kind of what they're banking. Right. Maybe it is Miko Hardman. I don't, I don't want to bet on it, but it's possible. Right. And I think, I think the smart move is to make, to ensure that you do get one of those guys. I think yeah. you see a guy that hits open market, you go after him. Right. I don't think markets are getting again. I don't think it's the right move. But I do think, you know, drafting receiver round one, if you see a good receiver that you think can be that number one guy, Odell Beckham Jr., for example, I would take Odell from the Chiefs right now. I would have gone hard for Odell. I think he could be a great compliment to Travis Kelsey. Uh, I would have gone for one of those guys to compliment. And I think that that's where that's when you really start to see a team go from great with the Chiefs are to another dynasty team, right? Because we, we're talking about Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Patrick Mahomes being in just those three themselves a dynasty, right? I still think the Chiefs are a great football team, but are they the same dynasty? You thought before? I don't think so. I think Travis. I think Tyree Kill takes a lot of that scare away. I still think they're one of the best teams in the AFC, but they are not a consensus the best team in the AFC anymore. I think a lot of arguments can be made. The Bills are better. I think you can argue that maybe even teams like the Baltimore Ravens are better. Maybe teams like, uh, dare I say it, Cincinnati Bengals are better. Maybe the Los Angeles Chargers are better. There are teams now that I can see being arguably better than the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs have the best quarterback in the NFL. The Chiefs do have one option deep in their toolbox right now that is still on the team, and I think a lot of people forget, and that is one Josh Gordon still hanging around the Kansas City Chiefs facility as a practice squad wide receiver for Kansas City, now into his late 20s battling addiction. Hopefully, that could be something that works out for the Kansas City Chiefs and for Josh Gordon because it's been a long road for that point. Also, apparently we found out earlier, Danny Amendola is available. So if you want Danny Amendola at 37 years old, he's available for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, Josh Gordon, I, I still always forget about people keep mentioning him. I'm like, well, wow, he's still in the league. I forget because he's always suspended, but I mean, maybe he does step up and be that guy. Now I wouldn't bank on it because we haven't really, you know, seen a revitalization from him, right? But I, I do think that there is still untapped potential in Josh Gordon that can potentially be, you know, worked with. And I do think if that if they would have worked out, that would be great. Uh, but, you know, again, I don't think you should bank on that. I think you should try to ensure that you could find a guy, whether it's in-house or whether it's in the draft, in free agency, you got to find one guy that you can bank on to be that future wide receiver two apart from Travis Kelsey, right? Uh, Mark was out of scantling. I just don't see him being that guy. I think there are other options out there. And I think they should look towards the draft right now to find that next guy. All right. To wrap up the show, I'm going to circle back to something we talked about earlier. And I pulled this up. So you were asking, you know, the Seahawks are never at the top of the NFL draft, right? So the last time the Seattle Seahawks had a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, it was 2010, 2010. 
Do you think that you, Blake Jude, can name the player that was picked by the Seahawks with the number six pick in the 2010 NFL draft? All right. So let me ask first because uh, I'm just going to be real. I'm not positive on this. Is he a player that I know well? (laughs) Yes. He had a very long, successful NFL career. Okay. He, he made so, multiple Pro Bowl teams in his NFL career. Huh. Was he on defense? He was not on defense. I have no clue. <laughs> I'm no. going to go on a limb and say, man, I, don't, I don't want to embarrass myself. Was he an offensive uh, lineman? Yes. Okay. Multiple Pro Bowl years. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it has to be a tackle. What great tackle played for Seattle? I have no clue. I'm really? Interesting. So he was on the Super Bowl team for the Seahawks, too. It was Russell Okun. Gotcha. Wow. Ooh. He played yeah, on a few yeah. teams afterwards, but it was Russell Okun. Yeah. So he, he really fell off. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, he, he made a Pro Bowl with the Chargers. He got a big contract and made a Pro Bowl with the Chargers. But yeah, after that, his, his career kind of fell apart. So I remember, I remember, I forgot he was that good, though. That's what threw me off because I know that. Um, I, I do remember Russell Kuhn talking about him last year in the free agency pool because he was there and he was asking for a lot of money apparently, right? But no one really gave it to him because no one really trusted him. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't injuries. been in the NFL since 2020. <laughs> yeah, I believe he's battled some injuries lately, right? But uh, um, yeah, okay, that makes that does make sense. Um, but in terms of me knowing the Seahawks drafted him, I, I totally forgot about that. I forgot about him and the Super Bowl run that the Seattle had together um, because. Uh, again, offensive lineman for me, I, I just said this earlier, this is great to come back around to this point. Offensive lineman, I just have really bad trouble remembering, right? They're just so forgettable in my eyes, unless it's recent, right? I can remember all the recent guys I've scouted, but when mm-hmm. it comes to guys like Russell Kuhn, I just completely sleeps my mind. I forget about him. Yeah, that was a, a decade-long career. Very fine career. He, he, is, <laughs> he was the Denver Broncos of NFL careers. He wasn't number one. He wasn't yes. number two, but he was pretty fine. Russ, yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay. Uh, any thoughts on Matt Ryan and the, the Falcons? Because I know we talked about them for 30 minutes last week, and then the podcast became obsolete because they traded Matt Ryan. So any thoughts there yeah. real quick? They're the exact same football team. has only had Carson Wentz. I'm not phased at all. <laughs> well, the trade was essentially, if you break it all down, like assuming the Colts always value cap space, and this Matt Ryan contract is basically a one-year contract, like they can get out of it next year if they want to. They basically traded Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan and a third-round pick. That's basically yeah. what they did okay. there. In my eyes, the third-round pick makes it a win for them, right? Because they, I think that I think you can argue Matt Ryan's a better quarterback still than, than Carson Wentz with a better roster around them. Um, I think that's an arguable uh, you know argument to be to make. But um, I, I do think that still, if the Colts got rid of Carson Wentz because they wanted to get a quarterback that could change their their team and make them Super Bowl contenders. 
Matt Ryan is not going to do that, right? I would have <laughs> went anywhere else other than Matt Ryan, honestly. I Lord knows they've tried. Lord knows they have tried every That's quarterback true. that has come every quarterback that has come available has been connected to the Colts. And That's true. they keep trying. They can't get another quarterback. And the worst part is they had it. They had Andrew Luck. It was right there. And four years later, they're still the 12th best team in football, desperately playing with the 13th best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, it's very true. I mean, it's unfortunate, but the good thing is they had, they're building the, the team around the run game, right? They have a great offensive line, a great run game. And now you have a better deep threat passer in Matt Ryan. So I do think there is a comment to be made that they could be better this year. But are they a Super Bowl contender with Matt Ryan? No. So their you know, wide receiving core also isn't good at all. Like they have I one know. of the worst wide receiving cores in the NFL. That's very true. They need receivers desperately. They, you know, they have Michael Pittman and absolutely no one else outside of that. You also have what T.Y. Uh, Hilton will um, be back. He's a free agent right now, oh, but really? come, come training camp, T.Y. Hilton will okay. be back. <laughs> yeah, and you also have Paris Campbell too there. Paris Campbell's there. You can't forget about him. Yeah, outside of that though. Uh, I, I think we can forget about Paris Campbell. I know you scouted yeah, him, we but we, 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 can, we can forget about Paris Campbell a little bit. It's, it's, it's not the end of the world if we forget about Paris Campbell. Uh, they also... They have a funny name guy. I can't remember who it is now. They had another funny wide receiver, but I can't remember you know, who it is. You know a team that I think could absolutely have traded for Tyreek Hill, the Indianapolis Colts. That would have been absolutely ideal. That was a that would be a much better fit for the Colts than it would be the Dolphins. But of course, yeah, the I I, I could get behind that one. I I could get behind them making that move. They. I thought, I I mean, the Saints are still trying to win, but I thought Michael Thomas was always going to end up either there or Baltimore, right? Like the Colts and Ravens are the teams every year that were like, damn, they need a wide receiver and they never get a wide receiver. (laughs) Yeah. The Ravens are doing better about that now, right? Because they have Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews. But you you are right in saying that. But both those teams are run heavy teams. So ideally, you know, you really don't need a great wide receiver to have if you want to be a run heavy team, anyways. So I do understand that. But I do also agree. Everyone always says that they need a good wide receiver. So why don't you just go out there and get a good wide receiver so you don't have to worry about it? <laughs> you know, like you, at least no. You, I mean, they they want to make the Hollywood right. Brown thing work so bad. I know Lamar and Hollywood yeah. Brown are both from the same are both from South Florida. They both, I, th- I don't think they play at the same high school, but they're both from the same area of South Florida and damn, they want it to work out, but it's just, it hasn't so far. And that's too bad because Lamar Jackson is a really good passer. It's just, he never has, he has Andrews and Andrews is again, like he's slightly above a Gasecki. I think if Andrews and Gasecki switched places, they probably wouldn't look too dissimilar in, in the places that they're in, but still like, they just need they just need a game breaker, right? That's the thing we keep right. saying with both of those teams. Yeah, and, and honestly, if I'm the Ravens, I'm really betting on Rashad Bateman being that guy before I even consider it being Marquise Brown, right? Uh, I think Bateman has yeah. to potentially be that. Yeah, I guess. But I, again, last year we were having, I mean, he was hurt, obviously, but last year we were like, would you trade a first rounder for Michael Thomas? And I'm like, well, the first round pick became Rashad Bateman, which is like, maybe he becomes Michael Thomas and sure he's less expensive than Michael Thomas, but you know, they, they really just need a game breaker. I'm not even sure Michael Thomas is still a game breaker because Sean Payton destroyed that man's body, but still like he had two years of just utter pain. So like, maybe he's not the same player that he once was, but still, I think you could, if you're Baltimore, you should take a risk on it. Or if you're the Colts, you should take a risk on it. The Colts always have cap space available. 
Right, and, and they're still hesitant to ever use it too. I would definitely go for Michael Thomas on the Colts. Uh, you know, it would make a lot of sense if the Ravens did. If you can get Michael Thomas for just one first round pick, that'd have been an absolute win for the Ravens, considering it turned into Rashad Bateman. Obviously, right now everyone's taking Michael Thomas over Rashad Bateman, so that would make a lot of sense if that were to happen uh, for the Ravens. That would have been a great move. But um, you know, again, I think I think an underrated thing that people really don't talk about is the you know, of course, the fact that he hasn't played in a while. There are a lot of question marks with injuries, things like that. So I do think people are maybe too scared to ever pull a trigger. But if I was a team like the Colts right now, and you look at your wide receiver core, I don't care how I don't care how worried you are about Michael Thomas right now. I would I would get him because he's a great receiver. That's obviously going to be a game changer if he's able to step on that field. Yeah, and it just this is sight unseen also with Michael Thomas, right? It's like we have no idea what Michael Thomas is going to be, and still everyone would do it. Right, yeah. I mean, that because of how how good he was before, right? I mean, just based off of that, I think that should tell you everything you need to know. We didn't see Odell Beckham Jr. for a long time, right? He came back, and he was still Odell Beckham Jr., even after the big slump he had with the Browns. I'm a firm believer that – Receivers just need to have a good, a good quarterback around them to be successful, right? We saw that, obviously. And, of course, without Drew Brees, there's a lot of question marks on what um, you know, Michael Thomas was going to be. But I think Matt Ryan could, could do work with Michael Thomas. We saw Matt Ryan do work with Julio Jones in the past. We saw him do work with Calvin Ridley. Even with Russell Gage, he was able to have success. I do think if you give him Michael Thomas, that would be amazing. If you give Lamar Jackson Michael Thomas, if you give Michael Thomas Lamar Jackson, um, you know, that would still be a great, great duo because Lamar Jackson is very capable of being a great quarterback with a guy like Michael Thomas. Well, Malcolm Floyd. That's another fun name from the past. Malcolm Floyd. Maybe they need a Malcolm Floyd right now. Or is Paris Campbell the Malcolm Floyd of his generation? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a comp, I think. No, that's disrespectful. Malcolm Floyd had a 10-year NFL career. He was never never a game breaker, but 10-year NFL career. 